Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm here in Temporary Studios here in Painesville, Ohio, right outside of Cleveland, Ohio. Very interesting place. We had winds up to 70 miles an hour last night, took the electricity out crazy, and there's supposed to be snow today, and especially tomorrow when I'm going to be preaching over at the Painesville Baptist Church. If you're listening in the area of this church, love to have you come and study Bible prophecy with us. Tonight, we're going to have two hours of teaching at the church from 5 to 7, and then Sunday morning, 9 o'clock service, and then the 1015 service with two hours, 5 to 7 on Sunday evening. A weekend prophecy conference. Love to have you come and join us. We're going right now to Ken Timmerman. He's the man located in sunny Florida. I say that with a a little bit of a twist in my tongue because that rascal is not up here with the snow. And I would imagine he doesn't miss any of it at all having moved to sunny Florida for his center of operation. We're going to be talking with Ken about geopolitical activities unfolding and We're going to be able to get his insight into these very important activities that are happening, current events that will help us understand the times in which we're living. Ken, you're not sorry about not being up here in Painesville, are you? I don't miss it an instant, Jimmy. I can always fly to snow if I need to. Absolutely, and I know you like to do that, go up into uh, New Hampshire and in that area to do some snow skiing. Well, hope you do that, but you choose to do that when you want to do it. Ken, let's get underway with this. The Islamic State, of course, the taking out of al-Baghdadi. Now they have named a new leader. What do we know about this guy? Well, he's a former Basist military officer, by the way, like Baghdadi and many others were uh, who've been in ISIS. And his name is al Qureshi. Uh, we believe, I mean, what we've seen from published reports is that his real name is Abdullah Kardash. But look, he's just the next cog, the next person who's assuming this leadership role. Uh, we don't know much about him personally. He's been around in ISIS for quite some time. But ISIS will continue to nominate new people to head their organization for as long as they have fighters in the field. We need to understand in the West, this is a generational conflict. We might not like it. We might want to declare victory and go home, as President Trump is is trying to do. But this is a generational struggle. They are not going to go away until we really cauterize the origins of this ideology And we can't do that here in the West. That's something that the Muslim countries themselves, Muslim leaders, must do to cauterize Islamic jihadi ideology. Well, there was an article in a magazine that you have written articles for a number of times. We've carried them here on our website, Front Page Magazine. And the title of the article, A Dead Caliph But Eternal Jihad. That's basically what you're saying, isn't it? That, that's right. This jihad is going to go on for as long as you have uh, what we like to call them radical preachers, but they're actually not radical preachers. These are mainstream Muslim ideologues who go back to the teachings of Muhammad and to the Quran. They hold up their book and say their book justifies everything that they are doing. Uh, kill the infidel wherever you find him. Establish the eternal caliphate. Uh, and this is something that... Uh, 
you know, it, it, it is not a perversion of Islamic doctrine. That is the problem. This is a core Islamic doctrine, and it is only until Muslim leaders stand up and say, well, uh, things are different today. This is not an eternal doctrine. This is something that was preached for the 7th century. It no longer holds today. This type of exegesis does not really exist in, in Islam. They don't go back and revise their, uh, the application of their original documents. They look at the way it was interpreted at the time of Muhammad, and anybody who dares to stray from that interpretation is com- committing a heresy. And, of course, that is a radical interpretation as resulting in what we're watching across the world. Ken, there's been a report of uh, some public uprisings in Lebanon and also in Iraq. Iran has come out with a model, smash the protesters. They don't want this to be happening, do they? And why do you say that is the case? Well, it's very significant that we've had these um, uh, massive protests in Lebanon. They brought down the government this week of, of uh, uh, Prime Minister Saad Hariri and, uh, he, and his whole cabinet, uh, just choking the streets of Beirut. Um, and and uh, also in Iraq, there have been hundreds of thousands of protesters in Iraq protesting what? Corruption and, in both cases, the involvement of Iran and Iranian-backed militias in the local body politic. In Lebanon, they're protesting against Hezbollah, which has been part of the government since uh, uh, roughly 2009. And in uh, Iraq, they're protesting the, uh, the, uh, the militias, the popular mobilization forces, or Hash del Shabi. Now, what's happened this past week, which is also significant, is that you've had um, Qasem Soleimani, the head of the Quds Force, travel first to Beirut and then to Baghdad, where he met with military leaders offering Iran's help, saying, oh, we have faced this kind of thing in the past. We know how to deal with it. And the way that the Iranians deal with it is by gunning down protesters and rounding up the leaders and putting them in jail and torturing them. And that's what's starting to happen in both Baghdad and in Beirut. I predict, Jimmy, that the people of Lebanon in particular are not going to stand up for this. I think Lebanon is, is potentially ver- going towards a new civil war. Uh, and in Iraq, I think you're going to have an enormous backlash as well. And the key is going to be the Kurds. You now have a Kurdish president, Barham Sali, somebody I knew for 20 years when he lived in Washington, a good man, but he is being squeezed by the Iranians. So it's going to be important to see where he comes down in all of this. Is he going to side with the Iranians? Or is he going to side with the Iraqi people and the Sunnis? So Iraq could go either way at this point, but in Lebanon, I think you're going to have a revolution. Meanwhile, at the same time, Prime Minister Netanyahu, by the way, the caretaker prime minister, because there has not been a forming of an Israeli government as of yet, but Netanyahu came out this week and said what is going on is Iran is being emboldened by the lack of response to this aggressive activity. I would say he's pretty much on target. Would you, Ken? I would. Uh, the Iranians respond to weakness. They, they view as weakness a failure to check them militarily. But I would issue just one caveat on that, is that, is that the Iranians now know the red line of President Trump. They didn't know it before. They were testing us in the Gulf. They were hijacking these oil tankers. Uh, they were launching uh, uh, drone strikes against us, taking down our drones. They hit Saudi Arabia. President Trump made very clear 
when his military advisors proposed that he strike back against the downing of a U.S. drone a couple of months ago. He said, no, I'm not going to do that. There is no American life lost. Since then, the Iranians have not launched any military strikes against Americans in the Middle East or against U.S. forces because they know that if they do, if there's an American loss of life, then President Trump is going to respond. I think the Iranians have been emboldened, but up to a certain point, up to the red lines, they know they can push up against but can't cross. Of course, the one problem with the United States pulling out of Syria there has been there's a vacuum. And who was there that said, I forget who it was, a vacuum will be filled quickly by probably the opposition. Well, that's the case. Russia has filled that vacuum, and now they are have a real risky game plan for Syria. Talk to us about that. Yes, Russia has filled the vacuum, and it, it's going to be interesting to see how long can continue to do so, because we don't follow what's going on in Russia very much here in the West, and there's so much misinformation by the national media uh, about Putin in particular. Putin is, you know, everybody thinks he's a strong man. Everyone thinks that he's in a strong position in Russia. But there's growing opposition to his uh, extended overseas adventures. They are costly. The Russian people have seen no economic benefit, basically 0% growth in the Russian economy. People are looking from year to year and see their economic situation gets worse. So Putin's going to have to deliver something to the Russian people if he wants to continue this adventure in Syria, increased deployment of Russian troops, building of Russian bases, an enormous demand by uh, the Syrian government of $250 billion to rebuild the broken infrastructure after all of these years, these seven years of civil war in Syria. So it is a a bit risky for Putin because he may find himself um, overextended. And that is evidenced by the fact that Russia has now promised the Serbians that he is going to give them the S-400s. And also, he's got a lot of activities going on in Africa. I guess he thinks he'll strengthen himself and his leadership role by staying out of the domestic responsibilities he has there in Russia itself. Russia has only two exports, Jimmy. They export oil and gas, petroleum products, and weapons. So he's, he's taking the S-400 around on a world tour to see if he can drum up customers, whether, you know, in Syria, in Iran, in Turkey, where he's brought them, in Serbia, as you mentioned, or in African countries. And along with the S-400, he will bring other Russian weapons, which he will try to sell for top ruble. That's a very interesting export that the Russians have, but it's a part of the end-time scenario that is found in God's Word that we see coming together in these current activities unfolding in our world. And that's the reason we go to Ken Timmerman on a weekly basis, so he can give us great insight. He's traveled, he knows, you heard him talk about the president of the Kurds in northern Iraq. He has known him for many, many years. And by knowing these people, he's able to give us great understanding of why all these events are unfolding. Ken, thank you so very much, my good friend. Have a great weekend. Stay warm there in Florida, you rascal. And we'll talk to you again next week. Amen to that. Thank you, Jimmy, and God bless. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, David Dolan standing by. It's a Middle East News update right here on Prophecy Today. 
Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung. I'm right here in Temporary Studios in Painesville, Ohio. I'll be at the Painesville Baptist Church tonight. We've got two hours of study from 5 to 7. Then on Sunday at 9 and 10.15, two services in the morning and two hours of study in the evening, 5 to 7. We'll put some prophecy Q&A in that two hours on Sunday evening. Hope you can come and join us. This is a great time of study and the events unfolding in our world. It says we need to understand God's prophetic plan for the future. That's the Painesville Baptist Church, Painesville, Ohio. Come and join us if you will. Well, we're going to David Dolan, the man who has covered the Middle East ever since our broadcast has been on the air. And prior to that, of course, he was a correspondent for CBS Radio. He's been a journalist for over 30 years. And when I got in contact with David to do the broadcast today, he gave me a little bit of a concern of news that he wanted me to know, and I want you to know so you can lift David in prayer. After the broadcast today, he has to go into Coeur d'Alene, where he is going to meet with his cardiologist, and they're going to check him out. has a little flutter in the heart, causing him a little bit of a concern right now. David, let me have a word of prayer for you, and I'm hoping everybody will join and pray as they continue to hear and think about you. Dear Lord, we love David, you love David, and we know that you've used him for many years. And this this uh, heart situation has been this way for about 20 years, so it's just nothing new but something we're concerned about. Give wisdom to the doctors 
And uh, we pray that you'll encourage David in these times. In thy name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Excuse me for interrupting into our report here on Prophecy Today, but one of our broadcasters, when he's having some health problems, we want to lift him in prayer. David, we will be praying for you. But now let's get back to business, and that is giving you the opportunity to analyze some of the events unfolding in the Middle East. For example, it looks to me like the third election is going to take place in Israel most likely because it does not seem that Benny Gantz is going to be able to form a coalition government. Now, that's what I understand now. Do you have any further update on this? Well, Jimmy, first of all, thanks for your prayers and others that are praying. Um, Yeah, Benny Gantz says he's determined to form a national unity government, meeting with all sorts of politicians and the various parties in the Knesset uh, this week to try to do that. But again, there are very little signs that he's going to succeed. He does not want the uh, religious parties, the close allies of Benjamin Netanyahu, to be part of this broad government. He wants it to be the Likud, led, of course, by his party, the Blue and White, with a couple of the center parties joining him and Avigdor Lieberman's Israel Beitenu party as well. Now, that would give just the three parties, Likud, Blue and White, and uh, Israel Beitenu, would give him a very strong government. It would be, um, oh, I think about 80-plus members. You need 61 to form a majority government in the Knesset. But uh, the Likud has pledged, and uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu has repeated it this week, that he's not willing to abandon the agreements, the signed agreements he has with his natural allies, the uh, religious ultra-Orthodox parties and the nationalist parties, to only form a government together that he would not join any government without them. Well, of course, that's an important pledge for the future because the odds still remain that Gantz will fail, just as Netanyahu did in his attempts to form a government, and that we will therefore go to the third round of elections probably in March. But, Jimmy, an opinion poll taken this week shows that a majority of Israelis blame Netanyahu for the stalemate. They think he should be more flexible, They think that he's not giving enough here and that he should abandon those uh, right-wing religious parties. We have to note that many Likud supporters are not religious. Many are, but many are not. And they're indifferent whether these parties are involved in the government or not. So he's getting pressure on that side. It's, as you said last week in Hebrew, it's a balagan, it's a mess, and uh, no apparent uh, end to it. But I again state that if we go to war which is very increasingly likely a national emergency government would be quickly formed with Netanyahu remaining as prime minister, Gantz probably coming in as defense minister, and that, I think, is what will probably happen in the next couple months if, indeed, uh, conflict breaks out. And, David, meanwhile, Jared Kushner brings the peace agreement that he is hoping will go into place between the Israelis and the Palestinians, that one that has been written up and planned by his father-in-law, President Trump. But he had a meeting with uh, Gantz and with Netanyahu and said, fellas, let's get together and form a government. Do you think that's going to encourage them at all, or how's that going to play? It's just too complicated, Jimmy, for anybody to come in and, and push the parties together. Again, the only thing that really can do that is a shared national emergency where both leaders can overcome their rather large egos 
and you know their supporters uh, views and the differences that they have and join together certainly the united states through kirshner as a representative of the president presumably his son-in-law pushing that line is important and it will give them some pause to think but i don't think it's enough to overcome uh, the problems and at any rate as we talked about last week the peace process is pretty well dead in the water. We had more rioting on Friday in the Gaza Strip. We had over 60 Palestinians wounded as Israelis responded to Molotov cocktails being thrown across the border fence at their patrols. Uh, we've had other action this week with the Palestinians and other areas that I won't detail right now, but there's a continuing war going on, not peace. The Palestinian Authority is shattered. It doesn't have a strong leadership under Abbas. There's really no reason to think that a peace process right now could really succeed. And uh, the partners in it, Jordan, we talked about that last week, the peace treaty weakening strongly. There were more developments there this week. The Gulf states and Saudi Arabia, silent partners, not so silent. They've been openly stating they would participate in this financially, but they're all looking east towards Iran right now, not towards uh, Washington and the peace process. That is nowhere near the top of their agenda, as it isn't in Israel either. So just no reason to think that's going to succeed. But him coming shows there's still an interest in the White House to get this going. But again, the U.S. is also at a polygon right now. So that's the situation. You know, and at the same time, the acting prime minister or leading the caretaker government, Prime Minister Netanyahu, saying that Iran has been emboldened by its lack of response to their aggressiveness. And to some extent, he's pretty much on the same page with what I would say is the case as well. What about you? Well, uh, Iran is definitely continuing to be on the march. They're very, very concerned with the situation in Lebanon and Iraq. And their Ayatollah Khamenei, the top Iranian cleric on Friday, leader, stated openly that the U.S. and Saudi Arabia and its allies, meaning Israel, are behind the unrest in Iraq and Lebanon. And, Jimmy, I'm hearing from my sources in Israel that that may well be the case, not that there isn't great discontent in both countries from Sunni Muslims in particular and in Lebanon and also to a certain extent in Iraq from the Christian community, very small in Iraq, larger in Lebanon, about Iran's overwhelming influence in their countries. And obviously Iran has recognized that. Uh, Sheikh Nasrallah, the head of Hezbollah on Friday, said that the war against Israel will continue and that the skies above Lebanon are Lebanese and not Israeli. That came after they tried to shoot down, Hezbollah did, with an anti-aircraft missile on Wednesday, an Israeli drone that was flying over south Lebanon. The Iranians continued their aggressive statements, but they seem to be preoccupied at the moment with trying to get order back in those two countries. Qasem Soleimani, the head of the Revolutionary Guards, flew to Baghdad and actually took control of a cabinet meeting that was going on and said, we know how to quell these riots. We did it 10 years ago in our country, in Iran, and we're going to help you do it. And there has been increasing violence there. So that is a destabilizing factor, but it might be postponing any Iranian action against Israel and Saudi Arabia, which may be the point in it, and therefore there may be some foreign hands in that. Just a mess, again, another polygon in the region. Let me ask you this, David. Is Israel, the way they are politically and, you know, militarily as well, are they equipped to win a war against Iran if they had to go to war? 
Well, Jimmy, they were shocked beyond what has been reported at how successful the Iranians were in attacking the Saudi oil fields in uh, September. They just didn't expect that. They didn't think they could launch uh, dozens of drones, heavily armed drones and um, precision-guided missiles with that ease. Iran now has weapons that they weren't anticipating, at least as strong as they are, and that Israel has to immediately counter those things. That was the voice of David Dolan, the man who covers the Middle East, giving us great insight in some of these activities politically that are happening in that part of the world that prophetically are written by the ancient Jewish prophets many, many years ago. David, will be praying for you as you go to see your cardiologist and look for a good report when we talk to you next week once again with your Middle East News Update. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I've got David Wilder. He's in Hebron. We're going to be talking about how the member of the United States House of Representatives, Omar, is going after Hebron. You'll hear that when you keep the dial set right where it is on Prophecy Today. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We're going into the second half hour. Remember, I've asked for three half hours or 90 minutes. I'll give you the world. We'll talk with our broadcast partners around this world and find out more details on the current events that are unfolding. We're going to go to Hebron, second most sacred city in all of Judaism and the oldest community for the Jewish people that was brought into existence about 4,000 years ago. We'll get to David Wilder, who is in Hebron right now, in a moment. But first, let me tell you that we are here in Painesville, Ohio. That's where my temporary studios are set up. And the reason we're going to be at the Painesville Baptist Church for a two-day prophecy conference. We'll have the first teaching sessions this afternoon between 5 and 7 love to invite you to come join us. I'm going to teach each and everyone in attendance how to take the Bible, understand the prophetic significance of all of God's Word, and then look at what God's Word says about the future. This will be a beginning session for those of us who are students of Bible prophecy. And then tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, the first service, 1015 the second, and on Sunday evening between 5 and 7. That's the Painesville Baptist Church. Love to have you come and join us in the study of God's prophetic word. 
Well, as promised, we're going to David Wilder. He is in that oldest Jewish community, dating back to the times of Abraham 4,000 years ago. And David is a longtime resident of this Jewish community, a very small community that would be surrounded by over 100,000 Palestinians, those who do not want any Jews in this sacred Jewish city. David, there is a United States representative in the Congress from Minnesota named Omar, and she has been praising the BTS movement. That would be breaking the silence movement there in Israel. I'd like for you to explain that movement to those eavesdropping on the conversation and help us understand why this is actually a bad move for Omar to praise this movement. What is the BTS movement? Breaking the Silence is an organization that came about probably somewhere in the vicinity of 15 years ago. A group of former Israeli soldiers put on a photo exhibition of what they claimed were war crimes in Hebron, uh, and very quickly they caught the eye of the Europeans, the European Union, and other European countries who started funding them, started giving them a lot of money, and they started to work expressly against the state of Israel, against uh, the Jewish community here in Hebron. They have protested against the wars that we've had with the Arabs in Gaza. The person that actually founded Breaking the Silence, uh, his name is Yudha Shaul. He and his people uh, have actually gone to the United Nations to speak against the state of Israel. They participated in the Goldstone, the infamous Goldstone Report, which claimed that Israel had used phosphorus weapons in Gaza, which, of course, was, was totally false. They're a very, very anti-Israel organization. We're being funded primarily by the Europeans and working against the state of Israel. Uh, very familiar with them, have had a lot to do with them in the past years. They bring in a lot of diplomats and tour around. Most of the people that they bring in totally ignore the fact that we're here. They don't want to speak with us. They don't want to hear the other side of what's being said, and they do a lot of work that's very bad for the state of Israel. David, Omar's focus was on the city of Hebron, where you are right now speaking to us, and she said that was occupied territory. Now, I've heard that phrase. I don't believe it's occupied territory. I do believe it's what the United Nations refers to as disputed territory. In other words, there's a dispute between the Israelis, the Jewish people, and the Palestinian people. Which would you say is Hebron, occupied or disputed territory? Well, Hebron has been the home to the Jewish people for almost 4,000 years. As you mentioned in your introduction, we have what I call a biblical archaeological timeline of an almost continuous Jewish presence here for the last 3,800 years. And as such, uh, it's a very natural place for Jews to live. The use of the term occupied is, of course, used in a very derogatory way, as if we have taken somebody else's land. But our enemies see all of Israel as being occupied, be it Hebron or Tel Aviv or Jerusalem or Haifa or Beersheba. So the fact that they regard this as, as occupied and having been taken from somebody else it's total nonsense. The building that I live in, where I'm speaking to you from right now, was built by Jews as a medical clinic for Arabs and Jews in Hebron in 1893. Uh, how anybody can say uh, that this is uh, occupied or something that was taken from somebody else is beyond me. But we're very used to these 
usages of terms in order to try to uh, delegitimize us and as such try to bring about the removal of a Jewish community here in Hebron. Well, let me just ask, how long have the Muslims been in this city that is sacred to the Jewish people? That's an interesting question. The first Muslims came to Hebron about 640, a few years after Muhammad died. And they then took over the the tomb of the patriarchs, which is where Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Sarah, Rebecca and Leah are all buried. That building had actually been turned into a church in the 300s and the 600s. The Muslims took it over and turned it into a mosque. Uh, In 1100, the Crusaders came in and threw out the Muslims. And in the uh, middle of the 1200s, the Muslims came back and threw out the Christians. So it's gone back and forth. But I would say that probably close to 2,000 years before the, or 1,000 years or so before the Muslims came here, there were Jews living here. Uh, And they've lived here almost continuously since that time. And fortunately, we've seen eras when uh, when we've been oppressed. However, we're here, we're back home, and uh, none of us have any plans to go anyplace. We're staying. Well, that's a great statement. You're staying in the location that the Lord has chosen for the Jewish people. Quite a bit of difference in the time as you think about it and understand really the history of this city of Hebron, but in reality, the entire state of Israel. David, this is simply another propaganda ploy would you not say, that is endeavoring to try to tell the Jews they can't stay in the land that God gave them, promised them forever? You're you're 100% correct. I'm not overly surprised that the uh, representative from Minnesota has said what she said, because this has been the kind of propaganda that she's been spouting ever since she came into office, together with some of her friends. It's unfortunate that there are people sitting in the United States Congress or willing to uh, spouse such lies and make claims that have absolutely no basis in truth to them. But it's nothing new. We've been having to deal with this kind of propaganda and, in a, in a sense, anti-Semitism for quite a long time. We try to counter it as best that we can. And people that are really interested in the truth have where to look for it. If they're only dependent on what people like us say, then the problem is theirs, not ours. Yes, and the truth can be found if you visit Israel with your tour group. You might want to get a hold of David. He can arrange for you to come into Hebron. He can show you around, show you actually the home place of Abraham, which was built about 4,000 years ago. David, how would people get a hold of you? Do you have a website? Yeah, sure. People can email me if they want at dwilder, D-W-I-L-D-E-R, gmail.com, or via the website davidwilder.org. Uh, They can contact me through there. They can see photographs there. There's a lot of interesting information there. And anybody that's interested in coming in uh, should feel free to be in touch and do our best as we can. Yes, absolutely. I've been there with David. We've done television production there, and I've just been there to visit with David as well. You need to do that also. David, thank you so very much for giving us the facts, the truth about what has been going on for many, many years there in Hevron. Appreciate it. But he will have another conversation down the road, I hope, real soon. Thanks, Jimmy. Shalom, shalom. Very interesting conversation with David Wilder, focusing on the Breaking the Silence movement that is going on in Israel. Some former Israeli Defense Force soldiers saying that The way the Israelis are treating the Palestinians is not correct. Of course, that brought to our attention 
by U.S. Representative in the Congress, Omar, from up in Minnesota. We'll stay on top of that story. Of course, David was in Hebron, the oldest Jewish community in the history of the world, dating back to the times of Abraham some 4,000 years ago. Well, we're changing regions. We're going to the European continent. We're going to be talking about the European Union, some of the decisions politically that they have been making, which, of course, is setting the stage prophetically for the end-time scenario found in God's Word. Our man who covers that area is John Rood. He's been there in that region of the world, living actually in Brussels for over 30 years. John, when we talk about Brexit, and I don't want to spend a lot of time because it's changing moment by moment, but I understand the European leaders have agreed to extend Brexit until the 31st of January. Uh, That's an interesting time, but there possibly is going to be an election in Great Britain before that time. Is that what is going on there? Yes, indeed. It's proving that leaving the European Union is very hard to do hard to leave. We'll probably see an acceleration in nations such as the UK that wish to leave. Once we see how this can pan out, it's going to be an example. But indeed, Boris Johnson was not able to keep the promise to leave the European Union by October 31st. This was not his decision. It was forced on him from Parliament. And so now the call is for a general election on December 12th, and this appears to be about the only way now to continue with the current situation with the Parliament. There's not enough support to have another referendum, so it appears that this could settle the dust a little bit. But it's certainly difficult to leave the European Union, yet we will see more countries do it. Yes, and that is going to happen We're convinced because of the fact that the Word of God says there's only going to be 10. We have 28 member states now with the possibility of 27 very quickly. And uh, John has told us 17 others considering wanting to exit the European Union as well. And everybody, I need to remind you that you have the European Union, the 28 member states, and then you have the European Parliament. And these members are wanting to sanction Iran over their Human Rights Act. Why don't they just go after the fact that they're trying to wipe out the entire nation of Israel? But anyway, at least it's a beginning. What do you think, John? Well, the European Parliament is very divided. In the United States, uh, you know, we're accustomed pretty much to a two-party situation. In the European Union, it is a very, very polarized situation. There are six, seven, eight groups in Parliament that go from extreme left to extreme right. So we do see parliamentary groups that come forward for particular interests, oftentimes minority groups. But we do see a movement in the Parliament now that is really pushing to work against Iran and how the European Union is bringing the closer and closer ties We have a Polish member of parliament saying that Iran's a terrorist regime. Its history of showing no mercy for its citizens, just blatant civil rights crimes. We have tens of thousands of political prisoners that have been executed over the years. And then other parliament members are coming out 
and showing the fact of what we need to be reminded of is that the Iranian people do not want this regime. So there will be a group that I believe will be growing, which will be more interested in regime change in Iran. European Union member states are part of NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which is, of course, the military, in some essence, there for the European member states. Vladimir Putin, of course, has been the focus of NATO, NATO established so that the European Union could be protected from Russia. However, a report coming from Hungary, John, uh, that Vladimir Putin is uh, going to visit his very close European Union ally there once again. I mean, he continues to flirt with these different leaders of the European Union. NATO's going to have to make a stand pretty soon, aren't they? Well, Russia certainly is working to frustrate NATO. The S-400 missile defense system has been deployed in Turkey. Being a NATO nation, this is uh, highly, highly unusual. And yet the divisions from the European Union, and we have many, many aspects of that division, but in this case, primarily east-west, we see that the Eastern European countries feel more in alliance with Russia at times because they know one thing is that they don't want to go ahead with the European Union political union. And so now we have the uh, missile defense from Russia will probably be going into Serbia, and Russia is also expanding their influence now. They're in cooperation with 19 nations in Africa, and so defense being deployed is a is a great deal of this purpose. So Turkey is riding the fence. This is probably, even though it's more unspoken terms, I would say this is probably the potential for the greatest uh, rift with the largest uh, resulting factors would be watching Turkey and NATO at this time. Yeah, and Hungary, of course, on the focus of the next visit to the European Union member states by Vladimir Putin. One final thought for you, John. European Union seems to be battling Israel over certain sections in the state of Israel. And the fact that uh, the European Union is pushing Palestinians being able to live in those areas when it's totally objected to by the Israeli government itself. What do we know about that? This is a very good big picture topic. The European Union is basically in a joint strategy with the Palestinian Authority. So from the Oslo Accords, uh, as you mentioned, there has been a division of Judea and Samaria into areas A, B, and C. Area C is to be under complete Israeli sovereignty, yet the European Union has succeeded in uh, housing tens of thousands of people in this area. I believe it's up to 28,000 buildings and houses that have been built in Area C, completely unlawful. So the purpose behind this is to create an area that would be completely linked with Palestinian buildings and settlements in Area C, which the European Union apparently is working to use as the backbone for a new Palestinian state. It appears very obvious. 
Well, very interesting developments there as it relates to the European Union and Israel. We stay on top of these political stories because it is continually setting the stage for the prophetic scenario to be fulfilled. And John, we so appreciate your contribution to us on a weekly basis. Thank you so much. We'll talk again next week. Thank you. Very important report from John Rood as it relates to the European Union. That's one key region we want to keep our eye on because what is happening there is really setting the stage for the revival of the old Roman Empire, a very key component in Bible prophecy. Well, now we go to one of my favorite broadcast partners, Dr. Don DeYoung, a namesake. I don't know that we're related, but we're related in Jesus Christ for sure. He is a scientist. He's an astronomer. He's head of the science department uh, there in Winona Lake, Indiana at Grace College, and we always love to have him on the air. And Don, let me just get right underway with my questions. There's a report that there's a telescope that is tracking 35 million galaxies at one time. Man, that's an amazing telescope, isn't it? Well, that is uh, true, Jimmy. They keep coming up with uh, a new technology, and uh, this telescope, yes, can look at multiple objects at the same time by using uh, fiber optics with lots of sensors at the focus point. Well, and why did they only decide? How many different galaxies are they in the entire universe? Well, Jimmy, uh, of course, the numbers become ballpark figures. Ours is the Milky Way galaxy, and a typical galaxy holds about 100 billion stars. And it's that very same number that we have for the observed galaxies. So uh, also then uh, 100 billion galaxies are known. I'm sure there are many more every year as we have new telescopes. They look further. But anyway, to answer your number, yes, 100 billion galaxies. 100 billion, that's a B. Wow, that many galaxies, and the Lord only used four words, and the stars also. That is amazing. Do you know why they just selected 35 million of those 100 billion uh, to look at with this mighty powerful telescope? Well, this new telescope, Jimmy, actually looks at about 5,000 galaxies at a time. That would be one tiny little region of space where the telescope is pointed, and they will collect that data, that light signature from those 5,000 galaxies, and then they'll shift the telescope a bit and look at 5,000 more. So over time, yes, they will certainly look at millions of galaxies, but a few thousand at a time, and uh, they'll be looking, uh, you know, uh, uh, high overhead where the skies are dark and the conditions are right. Anyway, again, that's a ballpark figure, 35 million galaxies. That'll take them a while to survey that, but uh, there'll be information coming. I've got to ask you, and the article seemingly was talking about dark energy that they are hunting out there. Now, you need to give us a definition, especially we lay people, of what dark energy is and why it's important. What is dark energy? Yes, very interesting, Jimmy. As they look at these telescope, as they look at these distant galaxies and uh, measure their light, one thing that will tell them is the uh, the motion of these galaxies, and they all seem to be going outward. That is, the universe is expanding. Uh, you've heard of uh, an accelerated expansion of the universe, and uh, this is a, a surprise to astronomers, and so they 
proposed that there's some sort of force, which is the opposite of gravity. Instead of attracting, it's repelling and pushing the galaxies outward. And so they've called it um, dark energy. It's just a mysterious um, um, force, which is spreading the galaxies out. Now, whether there really is such a thing as dark energy or not, it all involves the way God put the whole system together. But in their Big Bang cosmology, there must be something ever increasingly pushing the galaxies outward. They call it dark energy. Well, you're a creationist. You believe in 624-hour days of Genesis chapter 1. Is indeed the universe expanding, or what is actually going on? Well, yes, Jimmy, the the universe does seem to be expanding outward. You know, I'm reminded of that verse over in Isaiah 42 where God says he, he, he made the universe and stretched them out, and apparently it's still stretching. The universe is still large and getting larger. Now, I reject the whole Big Bang idea. God made this universe, again, in a, uh, uh, in a dynamic situation with um, great um, uh, distance, but the distance seems to uh, also even increase. I think there's reason for this expansion of the universe, Jimmy. If, if, you, uh, if you create galaxies and just have them sitting still in space, then gravity would uh, take over and everything would start to fall inward, and we would have an unstable universe. So you need to have this outward motion really for a stable universe, the kind of um, uh, cosmos that God made. And in fact, Don, it seems that God had a plan, put it all together, and if he wanted it to expand, this would probably explain how this relates to creation and the account there in Genesis 1, would it not? Well, it certainly does, Jimmy. Uh, Astronomers have many unknowns today. They also talk about dark matter, something that holds the galaxies together, and then dark energy, something pushing them apart. I really think that what we're seeing here is uh, uh, God's hand, that verse in Colossians 1.17, by Christ all things consist or hold together. There's some limits on what science can find, but God's hand certainly brings stability continuing to this universe. Wow, and that verse, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, just the verse before what you told us about, said that by him, by Jesus Christ, all things were created. I, this is a philosophical question, Don, but I want to ask you, why spend all of this money when all they had to do was go to the Bible and find out all that God wanted us to know about this universe and the 100 billion galaxies out there? Well, it's certainly true that uh, uh, the, the Bible is our, our foundation, provides the whole framework for us. But at the same time, you know, uh, we are... Um, uh, just inspired ourselves to explore space, and there's so much variety, especially out in deep space, different kinds of stars, different kinds of galaxies, and whether or not astronomers use the word, we are exploring creation, the incredible details and the artistry of God. I think it's all worthwhile, the colors that we see and the varieties, learning more and more about space. It just, it just never ends and shows us the infinity of, of creation. Wow, that's a great explanation. Put chill bumps on my arm for sure, Don. That's exciting. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord, Psalm 19. Hey, Don, I enjoy having conversations with you. Thank you for being available this time, and I hope we'll have a, another conversation real soon. Thank you, Jimmy. Till next time. Man, what a great conversation with Don DeYoung. 
you want to make sure that your friends hear that conversation, they can do that by going to my website, prophecytoday.com, then go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. There, we archive all of these interviews with my broadcast partners. This will be a great way for you to inform some of your friends on what is happening in the world and help them to understand the times in which we are living. In fact, the urgency of the moment. All of my broadcast partners are on top of the current events and give us great details behind the scenes that normal media does not report. By the way, Jim Jr. and Rick, our two sons, are in Israel. They have a tour right now. They're going all across Israel. Ultimately, they will go over to Jordan, down near the southern end of Jordan, to a place called Petra. It's one of the seven wonders of the world. And I want to tell you, if you've already spent the money to travel into the Middle East, you need just to spend a couple of more dollars and go over with us to Petra. When Jim and Rick take you to Petra, they give the details from a biblical and prophetic perspective that will help you understand the significance of this great city. So information is available if you want to find out how to be on our tours. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to Joshua Travel. There you can get all the information, the dates we're going to be traveling, the itinerary, the cost, and it will be a great opportunity for you to come travel with us in the Middle East. I'm going to have to take a break right now, and when we come back, I've got one more broadcast partner. That's David James. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung in Painesville, Ohio. This is the location of my temporary studios to do the broadcast today. We're here because I'll be speaking at the Painesville Baptist Church. We'll speak tonight for two hours, a Bible study on Bible prophecy. And then on Sunday, 9 and 10.15 in the morning, another two hours, 5 to 7 on Sunday evening. By the way, this evening it's 5 to 7 as well. Well, thank you for listening to the broadcast. We appreciate you doing that. We're going to get the last half hour out of you to give us 90 minutes. Here's my poll question. I want you to answer that, if you will. Go to my homepage on the left-hand column. Scroll down. Here's the question. In the reports from my broadcast partners on the subject of Iran and its aggressiveness in the Middle East was at the top of their agendas. Do you believe that Iran's actions, as foretold in Ezekiel 38.5 and Daniel 11.44, that these present-day actions are setting the stage for these prophecies to be fulfilled? Answer the question, if you will. Love to hear what your thinking is. We now bring to these microphones David James. David and I have a weekly conversation on an issue that is confronting the body of Christ that we need a biblical perspective on so that it will assist us in our daily walk with the Lord. This week we have a potpourri of items I want to bring to David's attention, and so let's get right underway. David, a couple of weeks ago, you and I covered the matter of social justice issues that have become attached to the gospel ministry. 
And we mentioned an article on the Campus Crusade website, a ministry now known as Crew, C-R-U. Then a crew staff member contacted us because he felt we had misrepresented them and mishandled the situation by not going to the crew leadership first. Your thoughts? Well, this was from a longtime listener who wrote the following. Dear Jimmy, this last week I was disappointed to hear your comments with David James about Campus Crusade for Christ. I didn't hear either of you say that you had contacted anyone at the organization to clarify the topic you reported on. If you had contacted the international director, he could have explained the matter to you. I've been ministering with Campus Crusade for 48 years, both nationally and internationally, and have for the last 42 years been working with prisoners. Many of them now listen to Prophecy Today. And then he went on to say, I can tell you that we haven't changed our passion for winning people to Christ and making disciples our mission statement continues to be the same as always. I'm afraid your report may cause many problems as our staff try to recover from the accusations of others who are uninformed of the entire situation. And then he went on to suggest that we should have followed Matthew 18 concerning going to a brother. And of course, we appreciate any input that we can receive from our listeners. As I went back and listened, I had only mentioned crew in response to your second point. And in the first half of my response, I only said positive things about the ministry. And then I just quoted from the article on their website. We didn't suggest that they aren't committed to their mission of proclaiming the gospel, but we were concerned, and I think rightly so, that the article clearly stated Uh, I think that justification and justice are joined at the hip. And since the article was on the ministry website and already public, I didn't sense the need to go to them privately. And, of course, we can make mistakes, but in this situation, I'm not sure that uh, we handled this wrongly. And, of course, again, we're always happy to have our listeners share their concerns with us. Yes, absolutely. Great response, David. I agree with everything you just said. And by the way, that is a great mission, winning people to Jesus Christ. When I was a student at Tennessee Temple in Preacher Boys class, Dr. Lee Robertson had Bill Bright come in and tell us boys how to go out and be soul winners. Now, Dr. Robertson did not necessarily agree with everything that Campus Crusade was doing, but he felt like Dr. Bill Bright could motivate men to be soul winners. That is the case, and I'm sure that continues on in that ministry. David, every year at this time, there's a lot of attention that's given to Halloween, both positively and negatively, even among Christians. And since Halloween was just a couple of days ago, I thought that it would be relevant for us to have just a short discussion on it. Talk to me about Halloween. Well, Halloween has been a major holiday in the United States for decades and has certainly grown a lot since I went trick-or-treating as a kid. According to the National Retail Federation, Americans plan to spend $8.8 billion on Halloween just this year alone. And uh, that same organization expects that 7 in 10 consumers will celebrate the holiday. And even for those who don't celebrate Halloween, about 95% of Americans buy candy during the Halloween season. And for those who do celebrate Halloween, the average person spends an incredible average of about $86 on uh, costumes, candy, and decorations. 
But it is also a very controversial holiday among Christians, with some Christians happily joining in on what they see as innocent fun, with others taking a neutral stance, and yet others taking a decidedly anti-Halloween position. And of course, Halloween isn't just for kids now, with the top adult costumes including witches, vampires, and zombies. So this is a much darker side than kids' costumes on average. And one reason why some Christians are outspoken against Halloween uh, because of its overt connections uh, with the occult, the demonic, and death. And, of course, haunted houses are a huge thing. People pay good money to be scared out of their wits is the point in creating the most terrifying atmosphere possible. And in those situations, there are depictions of deranged people, witches, ghosts, demons, zombies, and, and monsters, and with a large dose of blood and gore related to injury and torture and, and even death. David, that was a very interesting statement paying good money to be scared out of their wits. <laughs> I just had to laugh out loud on that. Well, let's start, David, back at the beginning with the origin and the meaning of the word Halloween. How did we get this as the name for this holiday? Well, you just used the word holiday, and that is actually a contraction of the two words, holy and day. And Halloween is connected with two holy days on the calendar of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, the word holy translates the Greek word hagios, and the meaning of holy is something or someone who's set apart to God. So, for example, in Colossians chapter 1, we read that his goal was to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. And some may not know this, but when speaking of believers, the same Greek word, hagios, is translated as saints, and we see this just a few verses later in Colossians 1.26, where Paul writes about the church, saying, it's the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. And then, to complicate it a little more, in the King James and the New King James Version, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, where it says, hallowed be thy name, hallowed is a verb form of hagios. Now, I don't want to get into the weeds, but I am going somewhere with this. On the Roman Catholic calendar, November 1st is the Feast of All Saints, and it's also called All Hallows Day, and it's celebrated in honor of all saints, whether known or unknown. Then the day after All Hallows Day is All Souls Day, when all the faithful dead are remembered, and of course the day before All Hallows Day is the Eve of Hallows Day, or All Hallows Eve, which over time evolved into Halloween. So historically, it directly came from the Roman Catholic calendar of feasts. Well, then, if All Hallows' Eve was originally a Roman Catholic holiday, how did it end up associated with evil, darkness, witchcraft, the occult, and even death? Well, it's kind of complicated. It goes back to the merging of a Celtic pagan feast with the Roman Catholic Holy Day. Uh, the Celts began to emerge in Western Europe around 1000 B.C., and today their legacy can still be seen in Ireland and Great Britain. And they celebrated their New Year on what became November 1st, and they saw it as marking the transition from the season of summer and growing and the harvest to wintertime, and that's a time when so many would die at that point in history. Now, according to Celtic mythology, on the night before the New Year, the veil between the worlds of the living and dead would thin, making it easier for spirits and the souls of the dead to return to the earth, who would cause trouble for the living. Then uh, a festival called Samhain was developed 
to commemorate the event. And druids would build sacred bonfires, and people would gather to burn crops and offer animal sacrifices to those Celtic deities. And during this celebration, the Celts wore costumes typically made of animal heads and skins. And then during the 400 years that the Roman Empire ruled the Celts, two Roman festivals were combined with Samhain, uh, the first of which was when the Romans commemorated the passing of the dead. Then in the 8th century A.D., Pope Gregory III later expanded on a festival for martyrs to include all saints and moved its observance from May to November 1st. Then when Christianity became the only legal religion of the Roman Empire in the 4th century, pagans began flooding into the Church, and the Catholic Church tried to come up with Christian alternatives to pagan festivals and practices. So when Catholicism began taking root in Celtic areas with the emphasis on the death and the afterlife, the celebration of Samhain and All Saints Day eventually merged. Very interesting history there, David. You mentioned just a moment ago that the celebration of Halloween is controversial among Christians, and a lot of people have some fairly strong opinions about it. How would you summarize the two sides of this particular discussion? Well, in doing uh, my research for our discussion today, I found an article by a pastor of a Bible church in Virginia with the title, Four Reasons My Family Trick-or-Treats. And he started off the article by saying, Tomorrow night, my children will be knocking on neighbors' doors and looking for candy. And then he went on to say, Well, Halloween obviously started as a Catholic holiday. It has, at least in the United States, lost that connection. Nobody I know associates going door-to-door with a Catholic celebration. And he doesn't see anything occultic about Halloween and argued that when kids come to the door in costumes, no one is making a demonic connection. And he also sees it as a way to connect with people in his neighborhood for purposes of ministry. And finally, he said, I want my children to love and remember October 31st as Reformation Day. Now, on the other side, Fox News ran an article about an evangelist named John Ramirez, who had spent much of his early life with strong ties to the devil. Apparently, he drank animal blood, conducted sacrifices, was baptized uh, with the devil, and got married in a demonic wedding on Halloween. In a different article, another pastor wrote, God is a God of life, but Halloween focuses on death. Should I celebrate a holiday where people decorate their front yards with tombstones? The person went on to say, the scriptures tell us to put away deeds of darkness and that light has nothing in common with darkness. Is celebrating a dark holiday something a child light should be doing? Witchcraft is clearly detestable to the Lord. Should something that glorifies witchcraft be detestable to me as well? Now, I personally tend to agree with the second view in general, but I'm also careful about condemning those who come down on the other side. David, one of the things that you just mentioned was the fact that October 31st is also Reformation Day. Since you teach, David, on Roman Catholicism all the time, what can you tell us about why it's Reformation Day and why this is important for us to be aware of? On October 31st, 1517, in Wittenberg, Germany, a Roman Catholic monk named Martin Luther nailed a set of 95 statements to the door of the castle church in that 
uh, town. And he was protesting the rampant corruption in the church from the Pope on down, especially with regard to its vice-like grip on the hearts and minds of Catholics. Now, St. Peter's Basilica was being built on the backs of the poorest people in Europe because the Catholic Church was promising them that their loved ones would be released from the pyres of purgatory if they would give money to the Church of Rome. And about the same time, Luther was also becoming convinced that the Bible teaches justification of the sinner before God, and that comes through faith alone and Christ alone as a gift of God's grace and not dispensed through the Church. And he came to this conclusion partly based upon Romans 1.17, which says the just shall live by faith. And among some of his more well-known quotes, so when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell, what of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf, his name is Jesus Christ, Son of God, and where he is, there I shall be also. And he also said, he died for me, he made his righteousness mine, and made my sin his own, and if he made my sin his own, then I do not have it. I am free. So it began, it was the catalyst for the entire Protestant Reformation. David, that's great information. Thank you so much for giving us that background on Reformation Day. And also thank you for the potpourri of items that we have covered here in our weekly conversation. We'll have another one. I'm not sure how many items we'll discuss, but it'll be here at the broadcast table next week. Thank you, David. You're quite welcome, Jimmy. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'm going to open the Bible. We'll take a look at the book, dealing with all the current events that we've discussed with our broadcast partners. That's all ahead, right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. 
It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. Our broadcast partners today gave us excellent reports on current events happening around the world, current events that fit into the end-time prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word. Now, these reports help us to understand how we're each and every day getting closer and closer to the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. The end times is upon us. All the evidence is tangible, and it's there for everybody to evaluate. We have these broadcast partners report all of these details and information about these current events so you can have a better understanding of what is happening. If you missed any of the reports from my broadcast partners, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com, go to Prophecy Today Radio Network, PTRN. It's located there. You'll see it on the left-hand column. Double-click on that. If you go there, all of these interviews with my broadcast partners today will be archived. You can listen to them at your convenience in the future. And you'll gain some great information as to what is developing in our world. One other thing I would like for you to do, if you will, make sure that you send the link to one of your friends who need to hear these reports as well. You can paste it on an email, send it out, or even send it out in a text form. We want everybody to understand really what is happening as we await the return of Jesus Christ and the rapture of the church. These broadcast reports from my broadcast partners go to prophecytoday.com, PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. Now, if you will, let me rehearse what my partners had to say about certain issues that they were focused on. For example, Ken Timmerman, he covers the geopolitical events happening in our world. And the announcement came from Islamic State. They have named a new leader. Ken and I talked about the death of al-Baghdadi and the fact that this is a group of, well, they say about 40,000 people who are involved still in Islamic State. They need leadership. So Islamic State has named a new leader. But what is so very interesting is the philosophy of Islam. Islam came into existence at the time of Muhammad in about the 6th and 7th century. That developed into a radical philosophy of life, the Islamic faith, and the fact that radical Islam wants all Christians and or Jews killed. Well, we see this all foretold in the Bible. You can look at the alignment of nations that will come against the Jewish state and the lowest common denominator, they are of the Islamic faith. Listen to me now just for a second. Turkey, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Ethiopia, Saudi Arabia. We're talking about the Sudan and Somalia. We're talking about Egypt. We're talking about Lebanon and Libya. These are all Islamic states that want to destroy the Jewish state of Israel as if they have never been. And those states are the states where persecution of Christians would be taking place today as well. This all evidence of how that alignment of nations will come together. David Dolan, who has been a journalist in the Middle East for over 30 years, gave us his Middle East news update. 
He looked at the political situation there in Israel. Looks like they may well be on the path to a third election. The prime minister, or acting prime minister at this point in time, over a caretaker government there in Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister, he gave back the mandate that would have allowed him to put a coalition government together. He made an admission that he was not able to do that. He had failed, so he gave the mandate back to President Rivlin. Rivlin passed it along to General Benny Gantz, who is the head of the opposition party, the Blue-White Party. He has 28 days in which he can try to put a coalition government together, and the first couple of weeks has not been going very well. Looks like they're at a standstill, a deadlock, may have to go to third elections. But remember, God put in place human government, Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6, to lead nations, Genesis chapter 10, in his plan for this world in the time of the end, Revelation chapter 17 and verse 17. Dave Wilder, who lives in Hebron, it's the oldest Jewish community in the history of the world, dating back to Abraham 4,000 years ago, went after U.S. Congress Representative Omar, who is trying to attack Hebron and the activities of the Israeli Defense Force against the Palestinian people. The Bible does talk about the Palestinians. We look at Malachi chapter 1, Ezekiel chapter 35, and the little book of Obadiah, It talks about the Edomites, descendants of Esau, coming back into existence for the purpose of being able to try to wipe out the Jewish state of Israel. But in the book of Obadiah, verses 15 to 18, it says the Palestinians will be destroyed as if they have never been. I loved my conversation with Don DeYoung. We talked about a telescope capable of looking at 35 million different galaxies. I asked Don how many galaxies altogether. He reported 100 billion, and that's a B. And you know, the Lord said with four words, and the stars also, and brought all of that into existence. Don't forget, Revelation chapter 1 says that Jesus is the Alpha, the Creator, and the Omega, the King of kings and Lord of lords to come, who will be the one who will rule and reign from the city of Jerusalem forever. Had a conversation with David James about Halloween. You might want to go back and listen to it. We give you information, history, historic facts about how it all came into existence. You have to understand, dear friend, all the things we reported on this broadcast today fit into a prophetic scenario that is found in the Word of God. There are prophetic passages in all 66 books of the Bible, and they will weave for us a beautiful portrait of what's going to happen in the end times. I say it's beautiful, not because of all the judgment that takes place, but because it is helping us to understand where we are in God's time when the rapture of the church is going to take place. You see, Jesus has a plan, not for us to be able to escape from the judgment, but it's his plan. He wants us not to go into that judgment, and he's going to have the rapture takes place when he will shout, archangels will shout, trumpet God will sound, we'll be caught out of this world into the heavenlies to be with him. And according to all of our broadcast partners today, that rapture could actually happen today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.